everyone, and welcome back to the latest edition of CouncilCast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. I'm Katie Oberkirker on the Market Intelligence team here at the Council. Today, I'm joined by John Kirk, the Executive Vice President of Employee Benefits at CCIG, and Dr. Keith Smith, an anesthesiologist who co-founded the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I asked if they would join me today in unpacking a few really important themes in the healthcare space right now, namely in insurance and benefits. They are pricing transparency, market competition, the role of the physician, how that interacts with the role of the broker and the consultant, and then ultimately what organizations can do to start to move the dial on providing employees more choice and access when it comes to benefits. John and Dr. Smith, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Good to hear from yeah, you, thanks. thanks for having us. Dr. Smith, can you, let's just start big picture here. Can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to start the Surgery Center of Oklahoma? Yes. Um, in, I started my practice in 1990, uh, working in the, you know, the big hospitals like everybody else, and it wasn't long before I realized that I was really kind of an accessory to a financial crime, um, that anesthesiologists were necessary uh, for surgeries to happen. They still are, uh, probably will be for a while. And... Patients were being bankrupted um, with with my my assistance, and, and it didn't take long really to figure out that that I was an accomplice. And I was also was also in a, as a hospital based physician forced to work with uh, surgeons that I knew were unethical, incompetent, or both. And so, <laughs> just not not wanting to be part of um, part of the demise of patients financially, and also really wanting to have some control over, over quality that, that simply was not present uh, in any institution that uh, physicians don't control. Uh, that, that really is what led, led me with my associate, Dr. Steve Wontier, another anesthesiologist, to walk away from, from what I think anyone characterizes very lucrative anesthesia practices. So we just walked away in 97 and decided, you know, we're, we're going to be fair with patients. We're going to be their medical advocates. We're also going to be their financial advocates. And we're going to tell them, you know, how much everything is going to cost them. We're going to tell them up front. Uh, and we're not going to deal with the government at all because we saw the distorting role uh, the government had uh, in every part of this industry, uh, pricing in particular. So that, that that really was what led us to do it. Okay, and John, from your perspective, what's your reaction to Keith's story? Is this type of surgery center filling some necessary gaps right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I met Keith at a Self-Insurance Institute conference years ago. And, you know, to have, you know, frankly, and as an anesthesiologist show up and talk about self-insurance uh, cost containment and his story, I was immediately hooked. 
um, by their story. And I wanted the clients meet Keith. You know, and candidly, we need a lot more Keith. And Surgery Centers of Oklahoma leaders trying to help us all shine a light on healthcare services and, and the cost transparency and more importantly, matched with quality. I think it's still so shocking to me that Keith and his partners have been doing this for years. And it's such a new concept to me. It's mind-numbing that we're still in the dark ages with his business model um, because it seems so easy to accomplish what he has accomplished. But Surgery Center of Oklahoma and Keith have been fighting healthcare and insurance industry inertia for years. And you know, if you think about the evolution of so many personal things in our everyday lives, you know, airlines, Amazon, CarMax, TripAdvisor, these models have transformed industries and costs for the most part have followed downward with transparency, quality transparency. But with healthcare, it's, it's counterintuitive and we're all living in the uh, metaphorical stranger things upside down world. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about filling gaps, absolutely. Filling important gaps with healthcare services, like I said, the transparency that Surgery Center of Oklahoma provides, the affordability and the high quality services and outcomes. Um, I think his model should be cast as a bellwether for how it's done in standalone surgery centers. So Keith, you mentioned that you felt like you were privy to a financial crime. And so in order to achieve what John was just talking about, that transparency, affordability and outcomes driven approach, your solution was the free market, especially in the way that health centers, hospitals and surgery centers function. So why is the free market an important concept in the provider space? Well, um, I think prior to thinking about um, the market and its application, that, you know, really what we did was disintermediate the system. I mean, we removed the greediest profit seeker from the equation, uh, and that was the so-called not-for-profit hospital when we opened the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. So we had complete control over the institutional charges, which is 90-plus percent of the source of the price gouging in the United States. Physicians, there are exceptions, but physicians typically are not part of the price gouging, surprise medical billing uh, disaster uh, for which repricing companies uh, have to be employed. It's typically the institution. So we disintermediated the whole process. So we actually owned and controlled the institution and the charges, and we had to own that. Now, that that's a manifestation of our dedication to market principles where, where we always seek mutually beneficial exchange with anyone uh, that we deal with. So, you know, if a patient goes to a hospital and they get a huge bill, and they go to their surgeon and say, wow, you know, this hospital you took me to has just cleaned me out. And the surgeon, unless they have control and ownership of the facility, will say, there's nothing I can do about that. We were in a position where we could say, you know, there's everything we can do about it. We just decided to do all we could do about it on the front side. So every other industry in the United States has to endure the discipline of the market. And healthcare should not be exempt from that discipline. And part of that discipline is to display for the world 
here is what I do and here's how much I want for it to, you know, self-declare value. And that, that is just, that is so basic uh, to markets so that the buyers, whether it's self-funded companies or individuals paying cash, members of cost-sharing ministries, whatever, Canadians, <laughs> that, so that they can compare and they can make their own judgment about quality, about price, ultimately about value. So I, I think that one of the draws for me uh, that, that the market brings is, is that it makes the seller of the service accountable to the buyer. And without the discipline of markets, the seller of the service is not accountable to the buyer, either for price or quality. And so for anyone that is advocating more government in this industry, they're really advocating for less markets. And the less market discipline that's present in this industry, the less accountable the sellers will be to the buyers, ultimately the patients. And that we don't need that. I mean, that's going the wrong direction. So this idea of accountability of competition leads me to the patient perspective then. So we have this idea of a healthcare consumer. So someone who can shop around for services based on cost, quality, and access. Um, I'm not sure that that's totally possible right now. I mean, given the lack of information that consumers have to work with, I know that you approach that a little bit differently. I mean, you have your prices available right on your website. So the first line of communication that a lot of people see with your surgery center is this transparency. Um, everything's based on a facility surgeon and anesthesiologist fee um, and what you see is what you get essentially. Um, so in terms of a healthcare consumer, I mean, do you think that it's impossible to be one right now in the system? Um, or, or do you think that there's hope that they one day can be informed consumers? Yeah, I think for the first time, in a very, very long time, it is actually possible for patients to be informed consumers. And, and what you've stated is true up to this point. They haven't been, but they haven't been allowed to be. I mean, in the first place, most people don't care what healthcare, what their medical services cost, either after their deductible is met or whether they're on some government entitlement program. There are a huge number of people that just don't care for all the complaining. There's a large number of people who just don't care what it costs. So for those who did care and do care what it costs, their lives have been a mess because they couldn't actually find out what it does cost, even if they did care. So once you know price, then you're, you know, the next blank you have to fill in to determine value is quality. And, and what people have discovered is that if a facility like Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and there's a lot of us now, if they say, I will perform a, a gallbladder removal, a laparoscopic cholecystectomy for $5,865, 
all in, cash out the door. They don't do that unless they know what they're doing. The other thing is, there was a hospital administrator who got real fussy with me when I gave a talk in Arizona a few months ago, and you know, she said, "How do you, how do you, you know, show quality at your facility, or how do you measure it?" And I said, "Well, how do you measure it at yours?" I mean, the, you know, all this focus is on quality for those in the free market. There's been no focus on quality for those who operate at one of these, you know, big old big hospitals. That are completely revenue driven. They're not. They're not value driven. They're revenue driven. And so I finally answered her and said, you know, here's my answer. The Surgery Center of Oklahoma does not make more money, unlike your facility, if something goes wrong. Again, this is the market discipline. We do not belong to a single insurance plan. There are no insurance contracts at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. When I was young and foolish. I wanted insurance contracts. And then I dabbled with them a little bit and got smart and I want no part of contracts with big carriers. And so our waiting room is not full because we're part of some plan. Our waiting room is has patients in it because our reputation is everything. And we have patients there because they want to be there. They choose to be there, not because, you know, some you know, carrier has told them, you know, we are in their network. So that this whole quality question and can people ascertain that, I'm, I'm here to tell you they can. The most savvy patients I have ever met are the ones who paid cash when they came to our center. They had done their homework. You know, they had they frequently will come in and say, I notice, you know, every surgeon here is board certified. You've been accredited by the AAA, you know, since inception. They know about their procedure. They know what their options are. I, I would argue that for the first time, patients actually are able to intelligently shop uh, for their care and the value that it represents. John, what are your thoughts? I completely agree with Keith, and we do see more and more consumers being savvy, um, savvier about their health conditions, where they go for them, because they've got these massive deductibles and coinsurance to serve. So by the fault of the system and plan designs, um, they're looking for, for different options out there. And Keith did say there, there are a few, you know, there, there more than surgery, there's more than one surgery center of Oklahoma out there. Um, people are becoming smarter. Patients are becoming smarter because there's so much on the table um, from the cost standpoint. That's interesting that it's, like you said, the fault of the system that's really driven people to become a lot more savvier about what their options are because they've essentially been forced to be. Well, absolutely. And I don't think the uh, insurance companies and their plan designs are helping the matter by saying this is the only option out there to mitigate cost increases. Um, I think, you know, I sometimes refer to this out there in the market as greatest hits volume one. They just continue to play the, we have to increase and put more onus on the employee and their dependents and their families 
by increasing their plan design. This, this just can't sustain itself. And so when you see surgery centers of Oklahoma out there with completely transparent cost structure and to Keith's point, the quality matching it, um, we just need more of this. Okay, so if we switch gears here to talk about some of those strategies um, pertaining to centers of actual excellence in the commercial space, and then in particular, the employer insured population. John, how are you bringing those concepts into conversations with your clients? Yeah, I thought about this, and I think there's three things here, Katie. Um, first, we have to get employers radically real on what services cost in healthcare. I mean, radically real. Our industry is on a broken record, kicking this conversation to the next year and the next. And it's long overdue to, for employers to go much deeper on healthcare economics and just understand that the nature of healthcare economics and pharmaceutical services today are just, it's inelastic. One A of this answer is what Keith talked about earlier is this elusive provider quality conversation. Without context as to what products and services really cost or how good it is becomes a baseless conversation to say a, a center of excellence is less expensive and higher quality compared to what? Two, or second, I think once we establish the catalyst for these strategies, right, the, the opaque problem of price and quality, we can better design strategy with data on centers of excellence and where the opportunities lie. Then I think we can match non-acute conditions, right, where there are improvement opportunities with business models like Keith's and Surgery Center of Oklahoma around disease conditions, musculoskeletal or location. And I think the third and most important piece right now in the slow-moving healthcare insurance system is an incentive to change behavior. It's easy to think we can shine a light on all these lower prices and higher quality and have employees and family members just automatically go there in droves, like we all go to Costco to buy lowest cost beef or tires or Kirkland ibuprofen. Um, it just, it's just not that easy. I wanna come back to the first part of your answer, which is saying that employers you know, need to pull up a seat at the table here and, and start to start to think about healthcare economics and how that affects their businesses, how that affects their employees. Um, so can, can you talk about a you know, specific example where it would make sense to direct employees to another state to receive this kind of care? And I know you touched on it a little bit, but like what, what kind of client would this make sense for? Sure, sure. Actually, uh, Keith and I worked on um, a client together where um, at our organization, we had a self-insured client, um, what I would call just a middle market of client. This wasn't a Fortune 500 client. So this is where I say everyone can adopt these strategies. Who use this exact strategy with Surgery Center of Oklahoma as assistance. Um, so it was a Dallas-Fort Worth-based client. So let's take Dallas-Fort Worth employer, for instance. FYI, the Dallas-Fort Worth market has about nine and a half million people in it. 
it's a three hour drive and, and you know, or a 55 minute flight to, to Oklahoma City. And we had some data on uh, this self-insured employer, not a lot, but we had, we had data on a lot of incidents of claims that were, they weren't just a bunch of emergency room, you know, uh, acute instances where we couldn't alter that. But we, we noticed that there were a lot of musculoskeletal um, things. It was, it, was a, it was a largely male population in a service business that um, just had a lot of knee injuries, ankle injuries, uh, back um, procedures. And we designed an incentive in that benefit plan um, for employees to have zero deductible, zero coinsurance, basically a no-cost um, event for them if they considered driving and getting this procedure completed through the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which is a three-hour drive. And inside of that, the self-insured employer paid for the hotel for one or two nights for the support system, if it's a, a dependent or spouse or you name it. And the procedure was done. And it was many, many times after we kind of did some comparison, because we didn't have all the data, we felt that the surgery center of Oklahoma's costs were easily a quarter of what they were inside of the Dallas-Fort Worth market um, for the same surgery. And what I would argue is, is, a, is a higher quality outcome. So that's, that's an exact situation. But I might want to bring Keith into this conversation to say, Keith, do you kind of see those types of instances with that type of market? Yeah, um, and you're right. I mean, our our prices typically are one sixth to one tenth of what the typical charge that a self-funded plan uh, would be exposed to. So, Keith, you you mentioned before that these insurance companies have essentially shut out your surgery center from their networks. Um, and John, I know you you mentioned that you and Keith have had worked together on a client. Um, so Keith, who are you turning to in the industry right now as an ally, if anyone? Well, um, I, I don't want to sound too broad stroke or thick brush uh, because there are, there are brokers and consultants that are good guy brokers and consultants working for uh, the benefit of their true client, uh, the employer, not the carrier. And, and they're acting as uh, solid fiduciaries, uh, you know, giving good advice. There are also, believe it or not, there are some big hospitals that recognizing the unsustainability of this current mess are coming around and, and becoming part of this movement where, you know, how do I, what are the mechanics? What's the methodology of saying, here's what I do and here's how much it is. Uh, and I think part of this is the market at work. Part of this is, is that some people recognize it as an opportunity, but the vast majority of people I deal with see it as just the right thing to do. Um, and so our allies are, are like-minded um, physicians. Uh, they're they're like-minded uh, owners and operators of surgery centers, whether they're corporate or physician. There's some full-service hospitals uh, uh, 
specialty hospitals that are partially or fully physician-only controlled. There are a lot of third-party administrators uh, that that have come around to this idea, uh, and so those those are our allies. And, and you know, I I throw the insurance companies under the bus regularly. Uh, none of them contract with me. They, they want nothing to do with us. But I think we need to be clear. I think the insurance companies exclude uh, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma and other facilities like mine uh, because that's stipulated many times, not always, but it's stipulated many times in the contract negotiations with the big box hospitals. The insurance carriers then have to decide, you know, how, how badly do we want, you know, an independent, fairly priced, high quality facility in our network you know, and, you know, to get the deal we want with this big hospital, uh, then we need to, you know, we're going to have to obey this stipulation. But our allies in the industry are people who have sticker shock, who care what what it costs. Uh, my best ally uh, is a buyer of high-quality services. And so my, the consumer, the buyer of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma is, is sovereign, and they are my biggest ally. And anyone who represents them um, in an honorable way is also my ally, and they just, they can't get enough of what they're buying at my place and others, uh, members of the Free Market Medical Association that have emulated what we've done. And I'd follow on that comment, Keith, uh, Katie, that Keith and his, his group of um, free market medical uh, providers, and that's kind of what it's called. They are, they are building a consumer empowerment movement for the first time in healthcare that, that just everybody needs to just hook onto. Um, because it, it, this, it isn't just coming, it's already here. But um, to Keith's point, this is where the high quality can exist when you search for it. And we do have a lot of inertia in our system that is just pervasive that there's cognitive bias about, well, where do I go for an alternative? Or where do I go for the leading lowest price, highest quality outcome? And I think it's, you know, Keith, you kind of talk about it. We need these strategies to be at the forefront, not as a secondary alternative. But our industry moves slow, and we're but we're getting there. I have I'm I'm optimistic. I'm I'm optimistic too. I I don't think I've ever been more optimistic uh, about about this consumerism, this consumer movement, uh, this uh, this movement that has forced the industry to admit uh, that market principles do apply. Uh, I. People question me all the time, and my response is it's astonishing that it exists at all. Um, considering the forces uh, that are against this movement, which is an entire uh, industry that is enabled by the federal government uh, and all of its manpower and force, that this free market movement has flowered and blossomed like it has, is, it's astonishing. Uh, really, and, and it's continuing to grow. And uh, my good friend Jay Kempton, who runs the TPA, the Kempton Group, we founded the Free Market Medical Association 
and we are we are truly shocked that this this association has grown uh, like it has. And many of the people in the room are industry people. They're not doctors. They're stop loss carriers, and they're brokers and consultants and other TPAs. And there are a lot of people in the room that uh, you know that fit that bill. So I I think there's every reason for optimism, as long as the government doesn't do what it seems to always do, and that's get involved and mess things up. Yeah, absolutely. Let me. John, just ask one final question here. Um, I want to just bring it back around to the employer-sponsored population. Um, so that that population has purchasing power. There's a lot of employee volume. Do you see them moving the dial on healthcare costs? Well, you know, Katie, absolutely. The employer-sponsored health insurance population's got the mass, right? 180 million or so employees get their health insurance through through their employer. But if you look at that, it's really an army with millions of separate field generals, the employers, right? The organizations that, that lead their employee masses differently. So yes, there's mass, but each employer has different strategy, location, you know, other influencing factors. Um, I, you know, I don't see the dial being moved in mass, but we do see great isolated examples of what I would call Keith's clients, these catalyzing employers who challenge the system, challenge everything about it. They challenge how they build their plan designs. They challenge their local insurance structure, PPO networks. They challenge how they build their plan document, allowing these things to happen. And as, as I could say, they actively manage their plans versus just kind of set it and forget it and just kind of hope for the best and think that this is the only thing that can occur in our market. This needs to go widespread because as he said, there's 300 separate providers like what Dr. Smith and Surgery Center of Oklahoma has done out there. We just have to shine the light on it. Anything else that either of you wanted to add before we wrap up? Well, I was just going to add that this movement is not just growing in numbers. This, this movement is growing in the modalities of care um, to which a price is attached for self-funded uh, and otherwise uh, cash buyers. So whenever a broker, a consultant, or a third-party administrator goes to their client and says, you know, I've got this wonderful thing, the, the first yeah, but that comes out of their mouth, the first, you know, skeptical comment is, yeah, but what about heart surgery? What about oncology? You know, what about primary care? And I'm here to tell you, those those modalities of care are available. In fact, those modalities of care in the free market movement have been available for some time. The only services that we cannot buy in Oklahoma that you have a known price up front is burns and dialysis. And I 
I think I picked up on that early when employers we were contracted with said, hey, we got an employee that has a pituitary tumor. Yeah, you know, what are we going to do? You know, is there some way, you know, we can, you know, find a good price and, and secure value? And I give it, I give it up to two local uh, large hospital administrators who, to whom I reached out. And I said, hey, you know, here's this person that, you know, they may fly to MD Anderson or, you know, or Sloan Kettering. And, you know, part of it is, you know, they're going to be bankrupted anyway. Why not? And these people stepped up and said, okay, we'll do this. So this movement is, it is growing also in the, the ability to access all types of care, including maternity. And, and the more modalities of care that are available, the easier this is uh, to, as an idea, to sell, sell uh, and, and place in front of a skeptical uh, buyer and employer otherwise. What I would say as a final comment is the organizations that are actually moving the needle on these things are the businesses that apply the same relentless search for price and quality in their own businesses to that of employee healthcare. Amazing to me that there are some organizations that just do that. They're constantly looking at supply chains inside their businesses and finding um, and suppressing profits and margins inside of their business supply chains. But yet when they purchase healthcare, they're very, they just have cognitive bias about what truly is possible. If they, if they looked at the model and they decoupled the providers, the reinsurance, the claims administration, all of the pieces that go in that and built it into a higher performing model using these strategies, there's a silver bullet out there, as we all know. But if you add together to, to what Keith is talking about, the multiple modalities where these business models exist, you could build one of the most highest performing precision health plans out there. And all of that cost savings would mirror back to employees in the form of additional compensation or additional benefits, you name it. But you gotta challenge it. You gotta challenge everything about today's model and go find the surgery centers of Oklahoma and the free markets that exist. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, there really is a difference between uh, the employer who demands to know the price of a knee arthroscopy just as aggressively as they want to know the price of an oil pipe fitting. Uh, there, there really is a difference between them. Um, and and it, is it because they've been coached to just think this is too complex, I shouldn't question it? Some have more than others, or some people have just are awakened and they and they know to be skeptical and question. I've never figured that out. Yeah, it's um, they're out there though, and and I applaud those. And like Keith and I both said, we're optimistic. We're optimistic that uh, employers sponsoring healthcare for their employees can find these models, and Keith and his his peers continue to uh, to build them. Well, yeah, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad that you're both, you're both optimistic. <laughs>
Um, well, thank you so much, John and, and Dr. Smith for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Katie. And thank you for listening to CouncilCast. You can listen more on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Please subscribe and leave us a review or a rating and tell us how we're doing. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can find us at CIAB.com, at the CIAB on Twitter, or you can email in at CouncilCast at CIAB.com. See you next time.